Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Meg Mill, a functional medicine practitioner who specializes in helping people and headaches and migraines, increase energy, and restore mental clarity without drugs or overwhelming protocols. We're talking about the most overlooked root causes of headaches and migraines, common co-occurrences, and how headaches and migraines are usually a very loud symptom of a deeper root cause that may be related to gut, hormones, detox pathways, histamines, and many others. We also discuss the different types of functional medicine testing that may be helpful in getting to your unique root cause. Dr. Meg also talks about how you shouldn't have to order thousands of dollars worth of testing upfront in order to get to your own root cause or start making some progress on your symptoms. And we're also talking about how you can use nutrition in an add-in way to help with headaches and migraines. So Dr. Meg, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We are really excited to talk about functional medicine and chronic headaches and migraines and everything like that. So to get started, I would love to know a little bit more about you and your story and kind of how you ended up in the functional medicine field to begin with. Yeah, sure. So I actually was a clinical pharmacist. I, I went, got my PharmD, and then I went and did a residency in ambulatory care pharmacy. So I really worked more in outpatient clinics of hospitals, doing a lot of um, that kind of work directly with patients. And then what I started to notice was that people were becoming placed on more and more medications while really just surviving, not really thriving, not getting better. I understood the protocols. I understood why we were doing what we were doing, but it just sort of like piling up without really much change. At the same time, I was having some of my own health issues and I was having a lot of GI issues. And so I was also going from gastroenterologist to gastroenterologist. We moved around a lot in those that time and um, going to different specialists and, and getting like, oh, you're fine or, oh, you have IBS and getting these answers of like, okay, there, you know, there's nothing wrong and I'm feeling uncomfortable. You know, I can't even eat. There's like, gets to a point where like, I don't even know what I can eat that doesn't make me sick. And, and I was having all of these issues and not getting answers. So I just really started, it sort of made me change and go into more of a holistic direction. So I started kind of doing things on my own, like changing out products and really researching nutrition and, and really changing some of those things. But, and I was seeing some results, but I was still not feeling great, but that's kind of what led my journey that direction. And then I was also trying some very alternative things that were like, okay, giving me some help, but not really fully, um, you know, clearing up what I was dealing with. And it wasn't until I found functional medicine that I actually I think it's a great combination of it's, it's conventional and holistic in some ways together because it's really root cause. So we're really approaching it from what is the root cause of what's going on and really digging into finding out the root cause and all the connections. And once you put all those pieces together, then you finally start to heal. So I finally, you know, was able to heal my own gut. And then 
I went back and I was like, okay, I have to really, really do a, like a whole change in career. I went back to do education and, and get certifications in functional medicine. And um, then, then eventually I opened my own practice, which is, so I have a virtual functional medicine practice where I see people all over the world. And really, it's just so great because you get those transformations, those whenever you're you're deal working with someone and you're really listening and you're putting all those pieces together that you can see that transformation of like wow i've been suffering for so long and i finally feel better so i was able to have that for myself and now i'm able to share that with others that is awesome that is also very similarly to how i got into this field i did not have a pharmacology background i used to work in politics but it was the same kind of personal health struggles that then led me to functional medicine and i was like oh i want to go back to school for nutrition and dietetics so i can you know help people with this as well so where did coming to specialize or loving working with headaches and migraines come in so what um started to happen i started to see this pattern so i see people in my practice for all different things and when i, I work with a lot of women i have predominantly uh, women in my practice that, that i'm seeing and i started to see this pattern where people were coming to me for there were two kind of patterns going on either they were coming in for headaches and migraines where they were this was really affecting their quality of life and and how and having to deal with it or they were coming in for something totally different and i do a very um, detailed intake questionnaire and symptom questionnaire whenever someone first comes in so they'd be filling out these forms and they're coming to me let's say for for gut issues and gut health or something hormone balance something else and when they're filling out the forms, they were saying like, okay, I've had, I get headaches once a week, or I've had headaches for 20 years, or, you know, four times a month, at least, or, or 20 times a month, or all these things. And, and it was so normalized to them, because they'd been having them so, for so long that they weren't, and they've just been told like, oh, you have to deal with this. Oh, you <laughs> oh headaches, you're just so a you woman, headaches. so you can yeah. deal with this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they think like, okay, I get a, period, a migraine every time I have a period. Okay, well, you know, those things don't have to happen. And so... Um, I started, it was just normalized. And I was thinking, wow, we really have the, you know, we're talking about a lot of things, you know, fortunately we're talking more about hormones. We're talking more about gut health. We're talking about different things, but we're not really talking about headaches. And the fact that once I would work with someone, their headaches would just go away. They'd feel so much better. And I thought this is something that we need to get more awareness around. We need to, you know, really have people realize that it's not something that they have to live with. Yeah, definitely. So for People who maybe have migraines or headaches or just kind of like pain in the general area or sensitivity, and they're not really sure, you know, okay, is what I'm experiencing a migraine? Is it a tension headache? Is it a cluster headache? Is it some other kind of headache? Could you distinguish between at least those few for people? Mm -hmm. So you're going to, so the most common type of headache is a tension headache. So probably most of us at some point in our life have had a tension headache. And it's kind of like you're going to have a band of pain generally. Across, you know, sometimes across your forehead, sometimes people find it up the back of their, you know, back of their head. It can be from like tension and, and muscle ache. And, and so it can, it doesn't really generally have a pattern and it doesn't generally last all that long. Like you can have that for a couple hours, but it, it's generally not at like this thing where you have a pattern where it lasts 72 hours or something like that. So that would be our most common type. Then we have migraines and that usually has a pattern that can come with nausea and vomiting and light sensitivity, you feel better for migraines if you're laying down. If that's where like getting to like a quiet, dark place can be really helpful when you have a migraine. Um, that's often, but not always a throbbing pain. And it can be on one side or both sides. So you can also have auras with that. So you can have just uh, visual disturbances, things like that. So we, we look more, it's generally more intense. Often the migraines are associated, can be associated with menstrual cycles, 
So those are kind of a difference. And then a cluster headache is actually a completely different animal because um, they cluster headaches are actually more common in men typically. And um, they're actually feel better with movement. So they're more like a very sharp, intense pain at a certain point, almost like, like an ice pick going into your, you know, into your head. So it's very intense pain, but it's more pinpointed and actually cluster headaches often feel better with movement. So where a migraine, it's better to be still, it's actually better to move your, you can get relief from movement when you're talking about a cluster headache. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a cluster headache. <laughs> None of my headaches have ever gotten better with movement. <laughs> That's for yes. sure. I mean, that it's a, it's a different, that's what I say. It's like a different type of altogether. So <laughs> it's not your typical type of people that get those regularly know like, okay, this is what I have. Yeah. Um, so let's go into more of the functional medicine approach, right? So looking at things from the root cause instead of just being like, oh, take an Excedrin, like take a Tylenol, which I'm sure drives you insane. Um, so could you talk about some of the most overlooked root causes of headaches and migraines? Absolutely. So we, well, that's basically what we're doing. We're looking at all of the root causes and we're trying to put the pieces together because it's, it's not always one thing. It's often a combination, like what kind of combination is the root cause for yours, but where you can just start, actually the first thing that's the easiest thing that you can do if you're listening is look at hydration because dehydration is actually an independent risk factor for headaches. And you want to like, actually look if you're drinking enough and, and the, beyond just how much you drink a day, then you also want to make sure you're getting hydrated at a cellular level because we need it to actually get into our cells in order for us to have the benefits when it comes to headaches. And so we want to look at drinking all like more like sipping throughout the day than chugging all at once. Sometimes we're like, oh, I didn't drink my water. I'm going to go chug a bottle. <laughs> and then you get it all at once and you can excrete some of that. So you have to like sip throughout the day and then potentially depending on what your needs are, maybe even adding some electrolytes, things like that to really... Um, make sure you're getting that cellular hydration. So that's a, a, not a first place you can start. And then, you know, looking at foods, foods can be very complicated when it comes to headaches and migraines. So there, there's kind of some different things that we look at. We want to look at food sensitivities. So food sensitivities will generally happen four to 48 hours after you have eaten the food. They can be nonspecific symptoms. So a symptom of a headache you're not thinking as a food sensitivity because you're not even associating that feeling with, oh, wait, I'm having a food sens a sensitivity to this food, but we get this inflammation, we um, we get this immune response, and so we can get this this headache. And so you want to look at what food you've eaten, like, like I said, four to 48 hours after you've eaten the food can be a big difference. And so you're, again, getting the headache, you might not think about what you ate yesterday, but that could be affecting you the next day. So it makes it a little bit trickier. And then in addition to that, we do know that there's also like physiologically some other foods that can trigger it for different reasons. So we look at foods like that contain histamine. So we think of those as like fermented foods. Those can bother people that, that histamine intolerance and overload can create a headache. We want to look at foods with tyramine. So think of those as like cured and, cured and aged foods. Aspartame, which is in diet sodas. We have MSG, which is in um, a lot of prepared foods. We have nitrates, which are in hot dogs and, and things like that. So we want to look at some of these other food groups, even salicylates. Those are lemon, citrus foods. And so you're not thinking, oh, I ate a lemon and my, I'm eating lemon water. I'm doing like drinking lemon water. I'm having detox. And, and maybe that is contributing to your headaches. And and so it's, it's, it's tricky. So what we do is we start to become like detect, I say like we become like detectives and we start to try to find these certain foods and look for patterns 
So once you start to really look at like, okay, every time I get a headache, I've maybe had a lemon lemon water that day or day before. And, and it starts to show a pattern. Okay, well, let's pull that out. That's not something I'd ever consider, but maybe that's contributing. And so we also start to look at some of these food patterns in addition. Yeah. And then I'm sure also, because, you know, I also work with a lot of people with gut health issues and stuff. And when I'm talking to them about food sensitivities, I'm like, okay, yeah, this may be a symptom of a food sensitivity, but the food sensitivity itself is the symptom of a deeper problem. So I'm sure you take the same approach of like, okay, well, why do we have these food sensitivities in the first place, right? Like just taking out the foods may be helpful in, you know, minimizing the migraines or the headaches that you're getting right now. But then the question becomes, well, why do we have these in the first place? Like we have to go, you know, not usually not just one level deeper, but multiple levels deeper to see where are these sensitivities coming from? How severe are they? You know, usually we're going to go to the gut or we'll look at hormones or anything like that. It's like, okay, well, where's this coming from? Absolutely. And and there's even microbes within your gut that can be like, we're saying uh, histamine. So certain microbes in your gut can be histamine producing, which can, and then compromise uh, gut function can also break down enzymes that break down histamine. So there's all sorts of different factors that that are going on, but it's just a place to start to look. Like I always like to give tips of what can I start to do to help me? (laughs) So that's something that you can start to look for a pattern. Yeah. (laughs) People are probably gonna be like, really? She's telling me to drink water. Meanwhile, you haven't drank water in like eight hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So when we're looking at root causes, we also see co-occurrences as well, right? So what are some of the most common co-occurrences you see with people who have either come in for migraines or they have something else or headaches or they have something else and they also have a symptom of headaches and migraines. So do you see like common health conditions that people come in with? So I would say estrogen dominance is very common. So a lot of people that have estrogen dominance, you know, if you're going to have painful periods, you know, PMS, heavy bleeding, things like that. So we often see the cyclical hormonal aspect to the migraines and the most common, the two most common reasons hormonally that you have migraines are estrogen dominance are rapid change in, in hormones. And so often people are in this estrogen dominant state and they're, they're having these, all these symptoms of estrogen dominance and of getting the migraines. And so what we need to do is then actually you know, there's, there's all these different dynamics that occur. So we want to look, we, I do testing. So I'm going to look at their, their hormone levels. And I actually do testing with where you can see metabolites too, because when it comes to headaches and migraines, often we don't see these huge estrogen levels. So, you know, if you go to your doctor and you're going to get a blood draw of estradiol, so estradiol is like your main estrogen, and you're going to get that blood draw and it may look normal. So you could get this level back and be told, okay, you look, your level looks normal, but it just may be the way you're metabolizing your, well, there can be a lot of different things, but one, we could see low progesterone. So when we don't have enough progesterone that can leave you estrogen dominant, even if you don't have a, a high level of estrogen, then the other thing is really about the way it breaks down. So there's three phases of estrogen metabolism. We have two in our liver and one in our gut. And so we need to make sure that we're actually, use, I always say use it and lose it when it comes to estrogen. We want to use it. We want to have enough to make ourselves, <laughs> we need the effects of it, but we don't want to have this overload and we need to make sure we're metabolizing it correctly. So we can do things that help, you know, to metabolize it, but you can also do things like add cruciferous vegetables to your, your diet. That's things like broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage and Brussels sprouts and 
And then you can look at your meats and your dairy products and say, you know, are they fed hormones? Do the, the animals that you eat, are they given hormones? Um, because then you're ingesting them. Once you ingest those, those animals, look at your, your beauty products and do you have like what's in them? I mean, you look at the back of the bottle and there's all these words we don't know. <laughs> so are you, you know, what are you putting on your skin and your hair? Because that's a being absorbed into your body too. So even just taking the time to switch one thing out at a time, one thing out, like I always, cause it can feel expensive and overwhelming. So I always tell people just take the next time you're done with it. The next time you're done with it, take, take the next thing out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you use, I used to use this app a long time ago, but there's this app from the environmental working group called think dirty. And you can scan your like beauty products and household products and stuff. And it'll tell you all the ingredients. If you know, you can't read them because the labels yeah. too small. And then it'll mm -hmm. tell, you, you know, like, is there a risk factor or anything for this? Yeah. Speaking of lab testing, I would love if you could go more into the other types of tests that you like to order, because I'm a big lab testing nerd. Um, so okay. what kinds of tests, you know, let's say someone is not yet working with you or they, ha you know, they have another functional medicine provider that they're working with for this stuff. What kinds of tests would you recommend ordering? Or let's say like what markers would you recommend looking for? Yeah, so I mean, I guess it goes, it depends on, I try not to overdo testing because it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, that's where I think there are people that I know that I'll talk to that are like, oh, I run all these different tests and right away. And I'm like, well, you know, that can be thousands of dollars yeah. for people. And I don't <laughs> want to do unnecessary testing if we don't have to, because you can find often like layers that are up top that you're like, okay, if we get you the right nutrients, if we, you know, get you the right foods that, and we, you know, clean some of these things up, you can feel better. Let's try that first. So but definitely testing is a value. So we can do, you know, we do the hormone tests. So that's a really good one. We can look at, we look at cortisol and all your adrenals too. I like to look at food sensitivities to make sure, you know, we're really pinpointing those food sensitivities. A gut uh, stool test can be helpful to look at your microbiome, you know, and then we have to evaluate, do we go deeper? You know, do, could you have mold toxicity? Could you have heavy metals? Could you have Lyme disease? Could you have, you know, there's, there's so many, how is your cellular health? Like, all of the, these things, even genetics can be helpful because, um, you know, people say I have a headache gene. Well, you don't have a headache gene. You have different genetic variants that cause you to have different functions going on in your body that make you more likely to get headaches. But when we do some genetic testing, we can see those and then we can work around those because we know how to compensate for your individual needs. So there, it, it's really digging into how deep we need to go um, to clear some of these things up. So and everyone's different. I'll tell a story because I started working with two sisters on the same day and, and they had both had headaches since they were in high school. They were like, okay, we're going to do this together. We're both going to come. And so one within three weeks, literally she was like, this is magic. I just got her on, you know, some of my rapid relief supplements. We got our nutrient levels good. We, we, she just, it was very simple. She felt amazing and never had another headache move was like praising it. <laughs> and then I have this other, her sister who I'm still working with who it wasn't, it didn't come into place yet. There are just some more layers. It was deeper. Even, even thyroid can make a difference. You know, we can look, we look at thyroid levels, all sorts of different things. And we just needed to go a you know, a little bit deeper with her. And she never said anything, but I'm thinking you're, I just always thought you're thinking like, why is my, you know, why <laughs> yeah. am I not better? My why am I so but, complicated? <laughs> yes. And it, but it was like two months later and she was like, oh, you know, my headaches are gone. You know, so it just, it just took time 
to look to and really some layers there, but it happened, you know, just kind of where everybody is. Yeah. You know, you mentioned thyroid, which is again, one of the other things that's just like IBS or, you know, anything like that, where you get like one marker checked and the doctor's like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with you. And you're like, thank you for invalidating my experience of all of my symptoms. Like it's extremely (laughs) unhelpful. Yes. But I really appreciate your approach of trying to do the least amount of testing possible upfront. This is also what I do with my clients. You know, like if somebody comes to me and overwhelmingly all of their symptoms are gut related, yeah, let's go straight to the source and do some stool testing. But by no means, I'm like, oh, a new person is coming in. I have to do this test. I have to do this test. This is required. This is required. Because I've I've worked for practitioners that did that before. And then, you know, the interesting thing, like you were saying, is sometimes in some cases, they're, they require a minimal amount of testing or no testing to begin with. Like there are things that we can do. For example, if you're constipated, there's a high likelihood that you're going to be reabsorbing too much estrogen, which could be contributing to, I don't know, your hormonal symptoms and, oh, hey, headaches and migraines, right? So we can take care of that first before even going deeper. But then the other thing that I found interesting was, you know, if you run $1,500 worth of testing, which like, is a lot of money, but also not compared to some of these tests that are out there, right? But if you are really only focusing on getting to the root cause of what's causing issues with one of those tests, then by the time you need the information from the second test, it's almost invalidated already because you've done so many changes based on, let's say, stool testing or like a Dutch test or hair mineral analysis testing, food sensitivity, stuff like that. And by that time, it's like, well, now things have improved and I'd like to see where they are now, but do I really need to spend another $400, $500 on test? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I don't do all of them like you're saying at the same time either too. That's one of the reasons we, we kind of go through the layers because it, we need to see like, okay, let's rule this out. And then we need to move on and move on and move on just basically as, as needed as they go through. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, I want to get like a little bit granular with this testing, right? So we've talked a lot about hormones. I'm sure you run blood work on people, you know, which is usually covered by insurance, which is great. Um, But when you get into things like mold and chemical sensitivities or heavy metals, do you find that is a very common cause or like a common deeper root cause for people or is it more just like you know because there's there's so much information out there and a lot of very conflicting information out there about like how to detox from heavy metals and mold and all this stuff and it's super super complicated unless you specialize in it right but people commonly are like oh my gosh this has to be my thing so do you find that that's actually common or is it more rare so I, I hear what you're saying, you know, it's become popular. There's a lot of people talking about it. Um, you know, again, when we're looking at the cost, you know, if you do a mold test, you're, you're, so, cause all people come right away and like, I need a mold test. And, you know, if you think you have mold or if you have mold in your house, then, then maybe, but you know, you're, you're going to pay the money and you're going to say yes or no, like, yes, you do have mold or no, you don't have mold. And then some tests, you get much more information than that, but it is something that was for some people we need to look at. So, I mean, it, it is a factor in headaches for some people, but not everyone. And so I don't know that it's the first thing that you need to do or you need to detox. And especially, I think you always need to detox from a place of strength. So you don't want detox to be your first step anyway, because you need to have everything open and working well, and you need to be strong when you're detoxing because you are moving those things into your system. So we're, yeah, which we can need make to you feel worse strength. before you feel better. 
it can yes <laughs> now if you're living in a moldy house we need to take care of that first <laughs> exactly and and you might know that you know you might be able to tell that sometimes people feel that there could be mold in their house and you know another let's just talk a little bit another thing about mold is that it affects like so detoxification is so unique and so everyone detox is different based on your genetics and so you can live in a house with people where everyone else is fine and you're suffering from mold symptoms. And so I think that's also confusing because you think like, okay, is everybody, you know, should everybody be suffering? But their detoxification process is different. So they could be exposed to the same level of mold that you are and one person may be suffering and not another. So it does not necessarily mean that it's everyone around that's going to have the same symptoms when it comes to mold toxicity. Yeah. I talk about that a lot to use an example with the gut as well. You know, when you work with a spouse or you work with a sister or a brother or, you know, people that are in the same household that let's say they all went on a trip somewhere internationally and they all got sick with, you know, traveler's diarrhea or whatever it is, but only one person is still continuing to have symptoms and they come to you and they're like, you know, what is wrong with me? And it's like every, everybody's microbiome and strength of their stomach acid and the gut microbiome composition is going to be different, right? It's nothing you did wrong. It's just your unique snowflake of an imprint of your microbiome was more sensitive to the effects of this bacteria, parasite, virus, whatever it is, that it's now lingering with you and they were just able to kick it to the curb or maybe it's lying dormant for them and they don't have any symptoms, but it's still there. We don't know. So it's always deeper. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we are. We're all unique, which makes it, which is good and complicated, right? <laughs> Definitely makes our jobs a lot more interesting than if everybody yes. was the same, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned foods before, like salicylates and histamines and everything like that. Can That can be major contributors to uh, headaches and migraines and everything like that. I saw on your Instagram as well, there's also foods that you recommend that people add in to help with migraines and headaches. Can you talk a little bit more about those and what specifically about those foods or drinks um, that yeah. help? Okay, sure. So my, I would say the first thing you want to look at as magnesium because magnesium deficiency is very common. So one of the most common nutrient deficiencies we see is magnesium. And so you want to add things that have like, so think of like pumpkin seeds can be something that you can just, those are high in magnesium. You can sprinkle those on, you know, if you can't get them in, you can, su you can supplement too, but it's always a balance of like, okay, do you want to take all these supplements or can you get it in food? It's, and it depends on where you're deficiency is too, if, if that's enough. So that's something we also want things that are anti-inflammatory, like omega-3 fatty acids. So things like salmon and different fish that you have, you know, getting those good fats, getting those omega-3s is important for some of that. And then, you know, we look at things that foods that have riboflavin, um, B, B2 is another name for riboflavin. And that can be another comp, like a deficiency sometimes in people that have migraines. So we want to have foods that are high in, in those. And then also even things that help you metabolize estrogen. Like we talked about, like the cruciferous vegetables, even eggs have choline. So when we're not, we're looking at another phase of metabolism for estrogen, and we think need things with, again, with magnesium, with choline, eggs have choline and, and some of these other um, nutrients in them too. So we want to add supportive foods and things like that in your diet to be able to also get the. So it's getting the right nutrients in and taking the things that you, that aren't serving you out. But, but I like to, I want to stress because I think it, when you're looking like if, if you've ever searched migraine diet, you're going to see this huge list and you're going to be like, I can't eat ever anything ever again. It feels overwhelming, you know, but it's really more discovery. It's more 
about finding your patterns, discovering your unique triggers, because they're not the same for everyone. Like you might be fine. And then we also have a threshold when it comes to headaches. And so you can eat, maybe you can have something like I use wine as an example, because wine is something with tyramine and people will say, okay, well, it's not red wine because I can have a glass of wine sometimes and I'm fine. And then other times I have a, you know, migraine after I drink a glass of wine, but then what else did you have with that wine? Like, did you have some aged cheese with that wine? Did you, you know, did you get less sleep that day? Were you stressed? You know, did you have more stresses? Where was your threshold at that time? And those can play a role too. And that, I think that's why it can be a little bit tricky. So it's helpful to have someone guide you through the roadmap. Like that's what it's, it's, there's a roadmap and I actually have a program specifically for headaches and migraines. And in that we give you such guidance so that it's not guesswork and figuring all this out. It's just like an easy path. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Histamines. (laughs) When you're talking about like the threshold of tolerance, I'm like, yep, that's definitely the case. Um, And it can be really tough too, you know, because there with histamines, it gets complicated because there are foods that have histamines in them they're foods that when you eat them it kind of creates more histamines and then they're like you mentioned before there are histamine producing bacteria in the gut where even if you aren't eating a lot of histamine foods but those uh, bacteria are overgrown you may start to have the symptoms of histamine intolerance or migraines or anything even without eating them which can be really frustrating yes (laughs) you're right yes oh man um okay So aside from drinking water, which everyone (laughs) would do better to drink more water if you are a headache or migraine sufferer, right? What is another piece of practical advice that you would give people or something for listeners to look into if they do suffer with frequent headaches or migraines? Yeah. So this is like another basic. I'm going to go back to another basic here and and talk about sleep because Sleep is yet another independent risk factor, especially like your level of REM sleep. And so you do want to make sure that you're sleeping in like what kind of quality, like are you prioritizing sleep and what kind of quality sleep are you having? And all of these things do matter. And so I think sometimes, you know, we at night, maybe it's like, okay, this is my only time alone, or this is my only downtime, or people really enjoy that nighttime, maybe quiet, but if you do try to get a little more sleep, could that make a difference? And and really when you're looking at some of these foundational things, they really can impact you, you know, long-term when you're kind of making some of these decisions. So that's just another basic, easy, free thing you can do is, you know, put a mirror up and say like, are you sleeping? How, like, are you actually getting the hours? And really in those hours, how are you sleeping? Are you actually waking up all the time? Are you sleeping well? Do you have your room set up to be cool, dark, and quiet? Do you have, you know, like blue light going on? Are you stimulating your brain? All those things can play a role. (laughs) I was just thinking of a situation where it's like, oh, you mean watching Netflix until like two o'clock in the morning and then getting up at six o'clock to do an intense workout without drinking any water and then having caffeine is not going to be like, it's going to be a good recipe for not getting migraines. Like, not the best idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did want to go back to some of the nutrients that you were mentioning, right? So we talked about magnesium, we talked about riboflavin. Are there any other major either minerals or nutrients that you see are very common deficiencies that can contribute to migraines and headaches? Well, it's a you know, it's kind of those are big ones. It's it's kind of unique with 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 some of the other ones. I mean, and that's why we do do the testing because you know, there's there's different things and everybody shows up differently. So there's not I would say it's not necessarily for me where like I see like a like a magnesium you could say a, I would say 
you can make the statement that a lot of people that suffer from headaches may potentially be magnesium deficient. I think other ones are more nuanced where it, it's really more individual and getting you supported more in a unique way that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I love that answer because whenever people ask me a specific question, I'm like, well, it depends or it's nuanced or something like that. But yeah. honestly, I think that is the mark of someone who really takes the time to go deeply into, okay, well, what is your root cause? What are What is your, you know, kind of, um, snowflake of an imprint of what's going on with you rather than, oh, I have this headaches and migraines program and everyone follows the same thing. And if you don't, you know, see relief that it's your own fault, which no one's actually, okay, I don't want to say nobody. Most people are not doing that. But at the same time, from a patient point of view, a lot of times with these like elimination diets, for example, it really makes you feel like if you didn't see the relief that the kind of therapeutically designed diet was promising, then it's like something wrong with you or you did something wrong, which, you know, plays into a lot of like perfectionism and everything like that. Um, So I really appreciate you being like, nope, there's no one size fits all. Everything's very nuanced, you know, and it's not like, you know, one thing that's going to give the solution to everybody. So I appreciate that. It isn't. It's going to be right out like, because I, I work with so many people that have, you know, that I've seen with this and, everybody's a little bit different. Everyone has a little bit, you know, we're all just unique and and it's just that perfect storm. It's putting all those pieces together and then getting you on, it's almost like a web where you're unraveling and then it's like, okay, just clicks. Like, okay, you know, everything is back in place where it means your body can relax. You're not showing because that pain is showing you an imbalance. It's showing you that something's going on and, and we're not trained to listen to it. We're trained to take medication to cover it up. So what you're given is like, oh, you have the pain covered up with a med. Well, often those medications can be doing more to harm you in some ways in the long run that when they're covering up the pain. And they're also, in addition, not addressing why you're getting it. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, so Dr. Meg, thank you so, so much for coming on today. Before we let you go, please tell people everywhere they can find you. And in the show notes, I'm going to have links to um, your live group program. You have a free gift here for eight step guide to say goodbye to headaches. Like we've got a whole bunch of freebies coming from you. So I'm really looking forward to those, but aside from that, tell everybody where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So the free guide, you just go to helpmyheadaches.com. So that's a pretty easy way. It's a free step, eight steps to get started. You can do those simple steps. It's a, a pretty clear guide that you can start right away. I do have a, the group program is called at happinessbeyondheadaches.com. And that's where I take like a small group through. We actually have a lot of testing involved in that. It's it's a lot, you know, and then you actually get to experience that with other people too that and really dive into because a lot of people actually bringing things to, up together helps, you know, really raise questions and have the answers. So um, that, you know, is another thing I offer. I actually just see people one-on-one also. And I have a podcast called A Little Bit Healthier. That's more broad spectrum. I talk about everything, everything and anything you can do to be a little healthier and that that's not headache and migraine specific. And I'm, I'm over on Instagram at Dr. Meg Mill. It's just Dr. Meg Mill. And my website's megmill.com. It's just M-E-G-M-I-L-L. So <laughs> thank you. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. 
If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more.